Hey, welcome to Conversations with my dear friend, Jeff Conway. My name is Susan. This is A Different Kind of Walk. So how are you? I'm doing pretty well. I feel like I'm coming down from a really intense season. So it's nice to be headed down in a a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did get a phone call from a friend this week, which was great because I haven't heard from him in a while from the Texas church. And uh, we chatted a little bit and then he said, so what's up with all this death talk uh, <laughs> on the podcast? Cause I listen to your podcasts all the time and I don't want more death talk. Um, and I totally understood that because he is a young man uh, in his 40s, mm-hmm. was born with a congenital heart disease and knew that he would need a surgery later on. So I think it was his late 30s that he had that surgery. It didn't work, so he needed a second surgery. And after the second surgery, he had a major stroke. Oh, wow. So, um, I mean, it was awful, just awful. Like, is he going to survive kind of stroke? So he's been fighting back to live mm-hmm. and he has two small grade school, probably around your kid's age. So he's like, I like the other things you talk about better than death. Well, we'll get back there. <laughs> oh, I know. I told him we would get back there. He'd hear a little bit more. And, um, Hello, that you're listening because you know I'm talking about you right now. But um, no, I I still think it's important. I want to let you ask me some questions, particularly after you've read some things that I've written. But um, so looking at history, when we think of death, you know, back to the ancient cultures, there was always this sense within humanity that there was something beyond the now. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you have a lot of uh, stories that have been passed down and things that have been written like the Babylonian Gilgamesh flood story. There's a flood story in a few different cultures. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's in the Bible. So when it comes to eternity and death, Gilgamesh you know, it's famous for its flood and the discussion of Noah's flood and Gilgamesh, but it also has a lot of images about eternity and how to get there. And, uh, you know, I've traveled to Egypt a number of times. I have upstairs a framed papyrus of the judgment scene. So, you know, what they did with all those mummies of the pharaohs and leaders. I'm not sure it happened with all the people, but there was a map to eternity. So all those hieroglyphics that we see are the map, how to get to the eternal place. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm kind of running around in my brain here a little bit, but, um, you know, there's a curiosity that's born within us. I think there 
are uh, people like my friend that I talked about that don't really want to focus on death right now. But when people start thinking about it, there's a lot of wonder about, well, what does happen? Mm -hmm. And what is after? Which goes along with your question that you raised in our last conversation. Am I being a fool and just following along with a story? Or uh, is this real? And my faith, meaning your faith, tells you that it's real. Mm -hmm. But that allows space for question also. We don't all have to have concrete moments at every season in our lives to be faithful to God. Because I always tell people, you know, yell at God, ask God any question, push God, because there is nothing that God cannot handle. So just be real uh, and don't try to play a Christian religious game of getting it right all the time and feeling like you have it right. So, so as I share with you today, I'm, you know, it, it's fun speaking this way. It's different than preaching Mm -hmm. because I don't know who I'm talking to. (laughs) Um, I'm having a little problem here because I just spit when I was talking and you have I have a dot on my face. <laughs> you have more than a dot. You have a, a few dots on your face. So I probably just smeared my screen, but the dots aren't there anymore. So that's a good thing. That's really funny. <laughs> um, so you mentioned uh, not playing the Christian game and feeling like you needed to know everything. So Sunday was Halloween and church. And so we did a medieval service. Oh, <laughs> it was really fun. We actually had a guy in our church who is a professional opera singer. So we um, had him come in and, and he plays the cello too. So like we had him come in and we sang songs in Latin and um, really old hymns and whatever. It was really fun. And Gary got to totally geek out on church history And so he gave a sermon um, highlighting three different saints throughout the medieval ages. Um, So like one was St. Patrick and one was St. Julian and, um, and one was Hildegard, St. Hildegard. Um, And it was really great. Not sure anybody who's listening knows who any of those people are, but they're really interesting if you want to look them up. Most people would know St. Patrick's because, you know, we've turned that into a drunken holiday, which was a holy day in Ireland, but culture has kind of swept over the ocean and they've kind of made it into a party day themselves now. (laughs) So, um, yeah, uh, I mean, they might not know that history of a kidnapped boy who is taken to Ireland and enslaved and escapes, but feels God's call to go back and shares God's message of love. I'm very connected to Patrick because of the lineage of his ministry to Columba. 
who is the one who uh, was in a battle and felt grief about that battle and left Ireland uh, because of participating in that, feeling like he had not honored God and wanted to be as close as Ireland as he could, uh, but far enough away that he couldn't see those. So they stopped on all kinds of little islands on their way towards Scotland and go to the highest place. And if you could see Ireland, they'd move on. And so Iona was the place that they stopped mm. where when they went up on Dun 1 and Dun 2, Hill 1 and Hill 2, uh, they could not see Ireland anymore. And that's where that monastic community started that really that sent out uh, missionaries uh, to all of uh, what we think of as Europe now uh, during the Dark Ages. Uh, and Hildegard, there is a great book called God's Hotel. Have I told you about that or did Gary yeah. bring that up? Mm-mm. So uh, there's a woman who wanted to write a dissertation on Hildegard and she really struggled finding somebody who would support her in that. Mm-hmm. So she went through medical school okay. and needed to do a residency but was also working on her PhD at the same time, which um, I'm sure was an incredibly easy thing to do. (laughs) Um, But anyway, she found this place, Laguna Hondo, which is in San Francisco. And it was the place where the city kind of dumped all the people that they couldn't handle. And so she learned the practices of Hildegard, which was holistic medicine, Mm -hmm. along with her medical degree and kind of combine those together. And I'm not sure she would use the word pastoral, but um, she wasn't the white coat doctor that came in and checked on things quickly and left, but would sit down and listen and hear the people's stories so uh, that's a beautiful book to get. And you should tell Gary after preaching on Hildegard to, yeah. to get that book too. I think he'll really enjoy that. But nice. St. Julian's familiar who? St. Julian of, um, it starts with an N. But while I'm looking for that, the reason why I brought that up was because um, one of the things that Gary talked about in uh, coming out of the medieval era was this um, very mystic writing called The Cloud of Unknowing. And in The Cloud of Unknowing, it's just this idea that kind of the opposite of what um, systematic theology would teach in terms of like, we're going to figure out everything. We're going to get all the answers when it comes to who God is. And the more we can like you know, dissect and understand, then that's the more spiritual will be. Like the cloud of unknowing is the opposite of that, where you essentially like sit at the feet of God and you don't know, you don't know all the answers. And despite the fact that you don't know all the answers and you might not have any idea what happens after you die, you might not feel like you understand uh, this world or God super well at all, but you still sit and listen and submit to this higher being. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's really beautiful. One of the quotes from, from that book is um, 
with an empty mind and an open heart, let yourself be naked before grace. Mm. So, yeah, just so that's right from scripture. So that to me, yeah. particularly if there, if there's sainthood there, mm-hmm. I would think that scripture was an informing part. Yes, absolutely. That journey. Yeah. So, you know, trained at Gordon Conwell, the seminary that I went to, which was very focused on systematic theology and learning Greek and learning Hebrew. And, um, you know, I was a bit of a fish out of water there, mm-hmm. but a very thirsty fish. Yeah. Uh, because uh, not being raised in the church, I didn't have a lot of theology. Mm-hmm. Um uh, so when I'd be writing papers, not only would I go to the Greek and the Hebrew, I would go to Latin and Aramaic, which I couldn't read at all. Mm-hmm. So I had to have the Latin version on the left side of my desk uh, and a translation on the right side of my desk, uh, realizing that, you know, it was somebody's translation of a word, so it might not be perfect, but at least I could get what the Latin writers were actually writing, uh, what could be found in Aramaic also. And, and, you know, my friends would just yell at me and say, stop researching and just write your paper. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I was always scrambling to write the paper at the end, but... Um, uh, so that curiosity that I did not have until my last two years of college really came to life. So a B minus student became a A student in seminary mm-hmm. until I fell in love. <laughs> uh, and then I didn't study quite as well, but still very curious. So fish out of water because my experience with God was more of the mystery and the mystical. And then heading to seminary, it was rigid theology. Mm-hmm. So I'm so thankful to Dean Borgman who ran the youth department. Cause I did the youth program there. I thought I was going to be a youth minister my whole life. I think I've shared that. And, and he was Episcopalian and the only Episcopalian on staff. And I mean, he's the one that really helped let me know I wasn't crazy um, living in the world that I was living in because yeah. Sola Scriptura is scripture alone. It's not about my works. It's not about my experience. And I wasn't as focused on the works as I was the experience of God, um, which is more common uh, in the Eastern world mm-hmm. uh, as the starting place, as opposed to the systematic place. Mm-hmm. So we each, I believe, have something to learn from each other uh, to help us come to a place of curiosity and come to a place of seeking instead of just saying, I know and putting the period there uh, as opposed to the place in the middle and whether people admit it or not, or can admit it. I think most people are in that gray place, maybe not in every season of their life, but there are seasons in their life that are gray. 
So it's good to be curious and not just say, I know, period, and ask questions and continue to read. Like Gary's sermon, going back to the early church mothers and church fathers uh, and learning from their knowledge Mm -hmm. and their experience. Um, So I love that quote about grace. How did that go again? Sitting with grace or? With an empty mind and open heart, let yourself be naked before grace. Okay. So, yeah. So empty mind there can be scary to some people because that could erase theology, but that's not what an empty mind means to me. That means uh, an open mind to listen uh, and to be transformed. To me, it means like shutting off the constant narrative that's running in your head. Right. We, we get so busy and so talking and we tend to like talk at God a lot. So it's, it's just like, no, let's, let's turn that off and just listen. If that makes sense. Totally. I mean, I found two kindred spirits when I was first in Philadelphia at my first church and uh, we would go away on silent retreats. Mm. Uh, three youth ministers. Nice. Um, and, you know, we'd make plans. Let's meet at four o'clock and talk about what our experience has been. I think we probably met two or three times a day, but most of it was spent in silence wherever we found to go. So going back to Da Vinci Code versus truly knowing theology and history and sitting with that empty, open, silent mind before an almighty and beautiful and loving God is important for us to do. And, you know, I, I wrote about that, just my pastoral frustration with people who would come to me seeking deeper waters, frustration that you were offering them not a Butterfinger wrapped in a tiny little package that kids got yesterday on Halloween, but this beautiful piece of European chocolate. Uh, When you offer that and they say, you know, I've been eating this Butterfinger for a long time. I think that's just easier. I'll stay there. Uh, That was, um, you never thought you could turn Halloween story into a, parable but <laughs> or Halloween candy. <laughs> um, but you know, yeah, that was um, that was frustrating to try to figure out how to present that beautiful European chocolate to people in a way that they would desire that. And I uh, you know, I had to let go of that. First of all, not judge. And second, know that uh, God spoke to me in my time. Uh, I need to allow God to speak to people in their time yep. and they're seeking, they want it. God's spirit needs to be the one to do the guiding, not me. Um, so that was, that was challenging at times, but um, mm-hmm. so going back to, to history and the curiosity, um, uh, we're not crazy people. Uh, as people of Christian faith, um, and 
uh, uh, thoughts of eternity and what happens after death is something that people have been thinking about forever. We need to remember that Christian scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, uh, is not a history book. There are a lot of things that you can find in there that, well, this isn't said, or that isn't said, or that wasn't the smallest seed. The actual smallest seed in the world is. So it's not a history book. This is a love letter from God to you. Um, And I mean that to you, Susan, and to me, and to anybody who's listening to us, that it's, it truly is a beautiful love letter of God creating humanity to be in relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to be in relationship with each other. Uh, And it is the accounts of various people in their great victories in celebrating that relationship and their great tragedies in messing up that relationship or moving away from that relationship. Um, So that's an important place to start when we think of the words that are shared there in, in scripture. That reminds me to go back to Julian of Norwich. Um, (laughs) um, I mentioned her earlier. And so she lived between 1343 and 1416. So a long time ago in the medieval era. And one of the things that she said is this quote, and thus our good Lord answered to all the questions and doubts that I might make saying full comfortably, I make all things well. I can make all things well. Mm. I will make all things well, and I shall make all things well. And thou shalt see thyself that all manner of things shall be well. Mm. That's beautiful. And to me, that's heavenly, not earthly. Mm -hmm meaning going back to, I told you I wasn't feeling well. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I don't need people to tell me you're going to be fine. You're going to get better, fight through this, all those different kinds of things. But this, that's an, that's an eternal image of wellness and wholeness and the fullness of who we are. And so that's why Speaking of death, um, and I want to be sensitive here because it's still so raw to you, but it's not a scary thing. And I think it's an important thing. What a gift that I know that I'm loved by God, always been loved by God, even before I knew it. And that goes back to my early childhood, all the way back to that early age being drawn towards that love yeah um yeah so we have all these neighborhood kids um we have all these neighborhood kids close to our house and several of them have started coming to church with us and and we have such a tiny church and we don't we don't have like this huge really nice like children's program so 
I end up being the teacher of the older kids, like age seven to 11, which is like a whole 10 kids or less, let's say. Okay. Um, so one, one kid was there a couple weeks ago and we were talking about the miracles of Jesus. Not that that necessarily is relevant, but this little girl eventually, she's like, is Jesus God? And was Jesus the first person on earth? And if Jesus is God, how is Jesus born? And she just asks all these questions. And, right. and in, in the middle of a class with a whole bunch of kids. And I, I feel like I totally choked and was like, <laughs> like, wanted to explain like, well, let's explain the Trinity. And maybe let's explain like virgin birth. And uh, let's explain... Uh, I don't want to explain Adam and Eve necessarily because maybe that's a story or, or maybe it's real. I don't know. And then Anna, who is this like eight year old, just leans over and is like, the first people on earth were Adam and Eve. And, um, <laughs> and so in the midst of trying and failing to answer all of these really big, complicated questions a lot of intricate seminary answers to give. Yeah. Like, you know, within 10 seconds, her eyes glaze over. And it's like, yeah, this is both impossible to explain to you in a way that incorporates all the abstract and complicatedness of it. But also some of this stuff just sounds crazy. You know, like we were talking about the miracles of Jesus and one of the ways I explained it, which I don't think it was a good way to explain it was like, yeah, Jesus is like magic. Jesus is kind of like a superhero. And as I'm in my head, trying panicking, trying to explain in my head, uh, the virgin birth and, um, creation and the Trinity three in one, like all this stuff. I'm like, this sounds crazy. Like this sounds like the stuff that you would hear in a, in a comic book, like a superhero novel, like all these, it's just nuts. And so it is weird being in that space where I know that it sounds crazy and also maintaining my faith. And so I think my question that goes along with that is like, if this stuff is just total bunk, would I follow it anyway? And Maybe what gets confusing to me is that I look at my life and I look at how I, as a human being, have been changed because of this story and because of the teachings of Jesus um, and because of how he lived and walked in the world. I have been changed dramatically. And so even though it sounds crazy, I don't feel like I can get away from it right. um, because it's had such an impact. It is, Jesus has made me a better person. And mm -hmm. I think, and I've seen that in so many other people as well. So, so, I mean, last time in our last episode, we talked about holding the, like the joy and the pain together, the joy in one hand and the pain in the other, like the, you can live with those two things simultaneously. I feel like that's where I'm at, where it sounds crazy. And it also is valid and then has changed me and is really worth something. And so like, ugh, I don't always know how to reconcile those things, but yeah. 
that's where I'm at. Don't don't think too badly of me, Jeff. I am not thinking badly of you all, and I want to be careful here that um, I'm not overstepping. But having done, I don't know how many children's messages. The one bit bit of advice that I will share with you that I learned so I didn't get into panic mode was to slow down and say, wow, those are really interesting questions. And you have asked so many different things. (laughs) (laughs) And then just focus on one kind of Simple fact that an eight-year-old, 10-year-old brain can hear. Yeah. The other encouragement that I would give you, I guess, is the word. So the Egyptian judgment papyrus I have upstairs framed uh, is a scale. Mm. And on the scale is a feather on one side and the person's heart Mm. on the other. And if it isn't an equal scale, yum-yum comes along, which I don't know if that's where the word yummy comes from. I should have researched that. But yum-yum was this person with a crocodile head who then would eat the person. And they would not get to go through the door Mm -hmm. if their heart was not equal to the feather, uh, meaning that was a perfect life. Yeah. And other worldviews that are out there that I have to do enough work. I have to be faithful enough. Um, So it's all about that scale, which, you know, if you just look at humanity, Nobody can balance with the feather. Mm -hmm. Nobody can do enough good. So what you say about a 10-year-old asking you all those questions that seems impossible to describe to a 10-year-old, the more we mature, the more amazing it is that God is a God of grace and love and mercy and forgiveness Mm -hmm. and recognizes that just running around following our own free will, we can't do it on our own. So that's that love letter of scripture. That's that history. That's not blending other thoughts into scripture That's not taking history and adding your own thoughts. That is looking at this Theonutos, God-breathed scripture that tells us how loved we are and how God has had a plan for humanity from the very beginning. It's important for us to say it's good to ask questions and to journey with people asking those questions because then they can not be afraid to think about death. You know, when, when Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, 
um, which was filled with a lot of retired Roman soldiers, that city. Um, he wrote, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Um, meaning living well now with Jesus informs us that when we die, we actually go to our real home, not the place that we're living in now that's messy and broken, uh, broken relationships with God, broken relationships with each other, broken relationships with creation and what we're doing there. Um, so to live as Christ is trying to live out that journey with Jesus, with our ourselves, but with others also. To die as gain uh, is moving to that heavenly realm. And I can't talk about fifth dimension and, and weird stuff that you know about the same way, but um, uh, I think we talked about this last time when we were talking about your dad, that it's not going up. Mm -hmm. um, I remember, you know, I wasn't raised in a spiritual home and, and my uh, first grandfather that died was when I was in the second or third grade. So my father immediately flew down to California. We were living in Oregon and uh, my mother drove through the night and it was a beautiful, beautiful night, stars everywhere. Uh, we must've been south of Ashland um, going into the mountains between uh, Oregon and California. And you could just see all these stars. And I said, um, well, where is grandpa Hank now? Mm -hmm. And my mother not having, you know, a lot of spiritual background just kind of pointed up. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's just such a vivid memory of this young boy looking up at the stars and going, oh, he's up in the stars. Yeah, he's a star. I, you know, uh, I don't know if I thought he was a star, but I knew that he was somewhere in those stars. But I didn't, you know, I didn't know what that, what that meant at all. Mm-hmm. So I almost kind of like the image of heaven as sliding over as opposed to going up. So for me, you know, this website, A Different Kind of Walk, we're talking about living with pain and joy. So I have very good joy right now, um, even though you're blurry because my eyes are being affected and affected a bit by the medicine. But um I'm on a new pain medicine. Okay. And just like people with mental health issues mm -hmm. have to continually adjust their medications because mm -hmm. um, the body gets used to certain medicines and then certain medicines don't work well together and, you know, all those kind of things. So, so I'm doing that with pain regularly and I can say, you know, I'm only at a seven regularly for the past week being on this new medicine, which is a wonderful thing. So that's a joy 
that I will share with you. And, you know, I'm not wanting death to happen, you know, right at this moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I talk that I think about death all the time, that I spend most of my day in bed and, you know, all those kind of things. I'm, well, I'm not, I'm not a cynic. Mm -hmm. It's not like you're longing for death all the time. It's just that you contemplate it and maybe think of the, like the beauty and the, the, to die as gain sort of stuff. So I'm not a life is hard and you die. Mm-hmm. Kind of person, mm-hmm. um, and life is hard, and life is hard right now for me. Uh, but life is filled with joy and wonder and excitement, and so you know that draws me to the place of I'm hoping I die well. I might not. You know, there are a lot of movies out there about the heroes who die praising God to the last breath. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the pain would do to me or what kind of pain I would be in. Mm-hmm. Um, I know wonderful people of faith who have had very difficult deaths. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what that part's going to be like. Uh, but having that image of heaven, whatever it is getting through the bad, the pain, getting through to the other side to the gain is going to be pure joy. The New Testament particularly gives us such great hope in the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth and the place that God desired us to be from the very beginning. And so that gives me peace Enjoy as I contemplate. Thank you for joining us for A Different Kind of Walk. Come back next time to meet the lovely Betty Fawner, who is turning 95 years old on Thanksgiving weekend. I can't wait to ask her all about how pain and joy have mingled in her long life. It's sure to be a treat. Until then, live well. <laughs>